this week. I hope you had a great week. Would you stand with us as we get ready to worship together?
Just like Lazarus, oh, you brought me back. 
will take all eternity just like Lazarus oh you brought me
shine upon you and be gracious to you.
this morning that you would have your favor upon us for generations and generations. And we lift you up this morning and everyone said, amen. Good morning, North Point. We are so glad that you are here. Um, I've had kind of a rough week this week. I am trying to get ready for a ladies' retreat that I'm speaking at next weekend. And I am super excited about it, but I can't get my head to be still long enough to focus to sort it out. And for some reason, me talking for two and a half hours sounds like torture for these ladies. So I am trying and praying and doing all these things. And the whole thing of the whole evening is about, or the whole weekend is about uh, mirrors and lights. So reflection and light. And I've been studying it. I've been looking up verses that go with music and or with light and with reflection and mirrors and all of that. And I came across a verse that sort of changed my view. Um, and it says, it's Proverbs 27, 19. It says, as water reflects a face, so one's life reflects their heart. And I started thinking about mirrors, and I kept thinking about my very unhealthy relationship with mirrors all my life. Like when I was younger, I hated what I saw in the mirror. And then I went through a very brief period where I loved what I saw in the mirror almost too much. You know what I mean? I was a teenager, and I could not stop looking at myself. And then, uh, you know, we've kind of got a love-hate relationship going on. Even up today, right now, I try not to look in a mirror. But, you know, you do. And so I only use it to check and see if I have any bald spots in the back of my head. Um, anybody else do? Uh, come on, be honest. Okay. So um, as I was talking and praying about it, my week has been manic. And I have been manic. And it's been a little crazy. I've had trouble. And then as I was reading these verses, and I read that one about his water reflects a face, so a man's life reflects his heart, I kept thinking, wait a minute. I'm thinking way too much about mirrors because I'm the mirror. It's what I'm looking at and focusing on is what I reflect. And I changed the way I felt about mirrors all of a sudden because now I am the mirror. It's not about me at all, actually. It's about my reflection of what I'm letting come in to reflect out. And that changed my view. So my manic week, of course, everything went crazy this week. We had a student that got in an accident and passed away. I had a student have to drop out of school. I had, we have watching a four-year-old at our house, which, you know, we haven't done that in a while, so we're tired. Everything has been a little crazy. I haven't had any be still time, and the Lord just kept saying, you're reflecting your circumstance. You're reflecting what you see. Just look at me. And so I want to invite you today to just look at him. Let everything else go. And I promise, as scripture promises, that if you focus on him, your life reflects him. And your week will be totally different than mine was last week. I have a few announcements. On the side here, we've got these books, and I want you to grab it. Sign and put your name and let us know that you're here. If you're home with us today and you're watching online, you can go on our app and you can go right ahead and just put our, your information. We just want to know who we're worshiping with and who we're, who we're with today. So please do that. Um, also, uh, second Sunday is next Sunday. So if you're new to North Point or you just want to revisit some things with North Point, um, right down here, what room number is it? 105 over here. I don't know why I don't remember that every single time. 105 over here. You can meet with the leaders of our church and just kind of talk, get some questions answered, get to know what we're like, kind of find out where you fit. That would be awesome. It's right between the first service and the second service. 
Um, Grief Share, which is an awesome ministry about people who have experienced loss in their lives, starts up this Wednesday. So um, if that's something that you feel like would be ministering to you, please don't hesitate to go and take advantage of it. Um, this Friday um, is the Night to Shine with, what, what is the group that we're with? What is it? No More Sidelines, which I think is a Team Tiba thing. It's a big night for prom for our special needs friends in the community. Beautiful night, and we'll have people there that will be dancing and enjoying that with them. Pray that the night is so special that they just have such a good time and that God's light shines through us. Um, also, um, we are having a benevolence offering today. If you want to do a regular offering, that's just normal. You just hit the give button if you're at home. Or if you're here, um, if you want to do it with cash or a check, you can just stick it in the envelope in the front. But we're also going to take a benevolence offering. And a benevolence offering is um, money that we collect that, like, if somebody in our community or in our congregation and they're really struggling, have a need financially, or there's a something that they can't, they hit some dark times, that's what we use to help. So there is a quick video for you to watch, and then we'll talk about it one more time. Hi, I'm John Seeger. I am uh, part of the benevolence team here at uh, North Point Community Church. Well, the, the benevolence team, um, the, the church and any church gets a lot of requests for assistance for, for people that are um, struggling or, or have a need. And so the benevolence team will, um, will work with those people um, to see what the needs are and understand a little bit about, more about the needs. One of the things that we do here at North Point is that we have an application we ask them to fill out. And with that application, sometimes it's daunting because there's a lot of personal information, financial information that, um, that we get um, just about their, their total situation. But it helps us as a benevolence team fully understand their situation. After we get the, the benevolence form back, we'll spend time going over it, understanding what their needs are, and then we'll set up a time to, to chat. Um, sometimes it's face-to-face, -face, sometimes it's a phone call where we'll get a, a chance to, to chat with the person that's asking uh, for the assistance so that we get a better understanding of exactly what their situation is, what their needs are. Um, it, it's interesting because part of that process of, of understanding exactly what their situation is, sometimes they may just be asking for one thing. They, they need a bill that, that to get paid for utilities. But then as we talk them through, we understand that they're behind on rent, they're behind on other bills. Um, again, they, they might be struggling to feed their family. So sometimes as we have those conversations, we'll actually go over and above their original ask just because we know that that will help them get back on track. When, when we help someone, um, there's no expectation. We make it very clear that there are no strings attached. Um, there's not an expectation that they're gonna pay back what they've, um, what they've been provided. This is strictly to help them get back on track. Um, we've had a few folks that after they've, they've had the benevolence help, they've gotten back on track, we've seen them actually come back and, and donate to the church, donate to the benevolence fund, uh, which is a very, a very cool thing. Some of the folks that, that we help have no ties to our church or 
quite frankly, any other church. Um, sometimes they're just at, at a loss and, and someone might recommend that they reach out to churches. Um, and again, part of the process that we go through is not just looking at the numbers and, and looking at where they are, but we also ask questions about their spiritual lives and, and where they are. Um, and, and, some, and I always make a point of when I'm meeting with somebody to pray for them or ask them if I can pray for them. And I have not had anybody turn me down yet. And you just never know um, what um, seed you're planting. Um, <clears throat> and, and for them to see that this is an extension of God's love, um, not just some money that the church had, but it's actually God's hands and feet out there helping is pretty cool. God leading you to give to the Benevolence Fund. Um, on the envelope, you can mark Benevolence Fund um, or write it if it's not there. Um, if you're online at home, you can use the drop-down button and it will have a Benevolence Fund little thing. Um, so that's it. I hope you guys are letting go of anything that's bothering you. And I ask that you look forward into the face of Jesus and his word so that we can be a reflection of him this week. Don't you love that music? That makes me feel very Western, like I should wear my hat out. Um, so, so glad you're here. Um, trust that God's going to speak. We start a new series today. Um, you know, when I was growing up, I grew up about 70 miles away from Cincinnati, Ohio. I grew up in, in a little place named Inglewood. Um, we lived on a corner street that we were on a, on a corner lot and, and close to a busy street. And I can remember as a 10 or 11-year-old, taking a baseball or a rubber ball, throwing it against the back of the garage. We had a brick garage, and I would throw it against the back of the garage and catch it and throw it, uh, catch it. And I remember, I can clearly remember as a kid thinking, you know what? Someday, a scout for the Cincinnati Reds is going to drive by and see this kid who just keeps working, 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 and they are going to, they're going to want me to come play for the Reds because I grew up at the beginning of the big red machine era. Um, Imagine how disappointed I was when I didn't even make the all-star team for the Inglewood Hills Little League. I was not all that good. I, I can remember as a high school kid, I loved to sing. I, you know, I, uh, many of you know I was a music minister for a long time. I loved to sing. But I remember as a 16-year-old um, recording an audition tape to be considered for a scholarship for a music workshop. And I, and I went through the whole process. I worked with my, my voice teacher, did the recording, listened to it, and thought, I'm not that good. I'm just not that good. I'm never going to be a solo artist. I don't think I'm going to even be in the top niche of the, of, uh, the people that they consider for the scholarship. Uh, disappointment. It was real. Um, this series is called Disappointed. You see it on the screen. Disappointment's a real thing. I, I thought, oh, this is going to be a happy series for everyone, right? Um, um, maybe, maybe not. But it's a real series about authenticity because we all deal 
with disappointment. We know what it's like to be disappointed. Um, we're disappointed that our life as adults doesn't turn out the way that we thought it would. Or maybe if we're young, that it, that it seems to be turning out the way that we thought that it might. We're disappointed with ourselves, maybe with the way that we handle conflict or our inability to set boundaries with, with uh, people in our family or our friends that, um, that we're disappointed with ourselves that we're not over things that happened to us 20 years ago. It seems like we ought to be able to get past that. Some of us are disappointed with our jobs, that we're not farther along in our career, or that we don't have as much money as we thought, or that our voice in our job isn't heard by our boss, or if you're the boss, you're disappointed at the caliber of your employees and that your work isn't able to do what you thought it might. We're disappointed sometimes with church that it's not making the difference in the world that we want it to, or that it's not helping me grow spiritually, or that I can't find a life group, or that no one said hello to me today. We, we struggle with disappointment. We're disappointed sometimes with God. He's supposed to be loving and all-powerful and answering our prayers, but it doesn't seem like he answers my prayers. It doesn't seem like he's doing the things that I expected that he would. Today, we're talking about disappointment in our relationships, specifically um, with our spouse, with our kids, with our parents, with our friends, with our neighbors. Some of you right now are saying, oh, I am so glad I'm here today with my spouse, right? Uh, so I can elbow them or whatever. I, th I thought about actually calling this message disappointment with our relationships. But to me, it felt just kind of too vague. And so I, I've, in my notes, I've called this disappointment with my spouse because that's real personal if you're married. If you're not married, though, I, I want you to just kind of substitute disappointment with my kid or with my parents, disappointment with my friends. Anytime that I talk about spouse, I'm, I'll try and talk about all of those relationships. But those relationships that are closest to us, we experience disappointment with. We experience disappointment in over and over again. Um, you know, we get disappointed with those people that we love because they say one thing and do something else. They don't deliver on their promises. They act in a way that makes zero sense to us. Even when we've been married to them for decades, it just doesn't compute. And it leaves us feeling angry and frustrated and disappointed. Disappointment can be devastating because disappointment leads to discouragement and discouragement leads to depression and depression can lead to a disconnect to everything that's meaningful in our lives, our relationship with God, our relationship with the people that we love, our relationship with our spouse, with our family, those people who are closest to us. George Foreman, noted theologian, boxer turned pastor turned hamburger grill salesman, said, evil lurks where disappointment lodges. Where disappointment lives, evil comes in. Disappointment keeps you from risking. Disappointment keeps you from experiencing the presence of God. Disappointment keeps you from experiencing joy and contentment and peace. 
Disappointment, to me, this is the best description I can, I can come up with. Disappointment is the dam that stops the streams of living water in our lives that Jesus talked about. It just stops it. It holds it there, that, those living waters. One, one, uh, one preacher has said, disappointment is a dangerous thing. It can cause you to set your expectation at the level of your experience and miss the purpose of God in your life. So, so here's, the, here's kind of where I want us to start today. Disappointment happens at the crossroads of hurt and unmet expectations. If you've got the app and you've got that open to the, to the sermon notes, those words that are highlighted are, the, are what you fill in there. Disappointment occurs at the crossroads of hurt and unmet expectations. The Bible talks a ton about disappointment, about discouragement, about depression. If you're not familiar with the Bible, you might be surprised at that, but it's all through those pages. The Psalms are full of agonizing cries to God from a disappointed psalmist. Proverbs 13, 12 says, hope deferred, which is disappointment. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. But a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. At the heart of all of our disappointments are unmet expectations. We're disappointed by our spouse when they don't speak up for what's right and we think that they should, that they know better than that. We're disappointed and angry when our spouse goes out and makes a major purchase without talking to us about it. Because we expected that they would be more fiscally uh, responsible. And we certainly expected that we would have had that conversation before they bought that car or whatever it is. We're We're disappointed because our spouse isn't more spiritually engaged. Because we expected, we expected that they would be a spiritual leader. We expected that they would be motivated to go to life group. We expected that they would want our kids to grow up in church that they would want them to know Jesus. We expected that they would at least want to go to church and hear that good-looking bald guy, right? Um, We're disappointed. We're disappointed in our kids because we expected that they would get good grades or that they'd want to go to college or that they would love sports or that they would be involved in the arts or that they would seek our advice, but they don't. And, they, and our disappointment is real because of those unmet expectations. That disappointment compounds on itself and we get angry and the relationship breaks down. Can I give you a picture of what unmet expectations look like in marriage? Um, let me, let me show, a, a, show you a diagram. In, a, in any kind of relationship that you have um, uh, with your spouse, with your kids, whatever, we, we have these expectations and we have Abilities. We expect our spouse to do stuff and they have the ability to to do whatever it is that we expect. Or they have expectations of us and we have the ability to meet those expectations. Here's the thing about this diagram. Next one. The intensity of the conflict that exists in our marriages, in our families, is driven by the delta between the level of expectation we have and the skill that the other person has to meet those expectations. The level of intensity that we have is their expectations and our ability to meet that expectation. Think about it in, in, in your world right now. Um, you know, when Deb and I first got married, 
we had a wonderful marriage. Everything was perfect, right? Bah, uh, forget that. Um, but one of, the, one of the first conflicts that we had in marriage was because I had an expectation, this is going to sound really stupid, that, that there's a certain way to take toothpaste out of the tube, right? <laughs> Let's just say that we had different expectations about that, okay? Um, and, and so, you know, like any wise person, I said, you squeeze from the bottom towards the, you know, towards the, th you just do that from the beginning. And we got married and in the bathroom, there is the toothpaste tube. You know, it was better when there were different kind of tubes that were more metal, but all the toothpaste is down at the bottom and at the top, it's just a mess. And I thought, what is going on? Um, <laughs> expectations. Deb was living out her skill and ability with doing the toothpaste. We had a conversation about it, and it continued to happen. Um, and, and so there was this conflict that came because of expectations and because of what was actually happening. Now, if this is your household, let me just give you a, a clue. About, so we've been married 41 years. About 40 years ago, we had an aha moment together, um, and that was... You know, it doesn't cost any more money to buy two tubes of toothpaste. <laughs> you go through the exact same amount of toothpaste, right? And so, this is my tube. <laughs> Squeeze from the bottom towards the top, and Deb has her tube at home as well. Um, the only way that you can deal with the intensity of conflict that comes in a relationship is this. You can either, next slide, you can either lower your expectations... It's going to create less conflict, produce more joy. Or you can raise your skill and ability. Um, the, the, for both, of, this is true on both ends. For me, I've got to lower my expectations to lessen the conflict. For me, I've got to increase my skill and ability in my marriage, in my conversations. Communication is a part of that skill and ability that's there. That it's the only way to lessen the conflict, to, to get there. Um, what we're talking about today is, is being disappointed with those people who, that, are, are, that we are most close to, that we love the most. If you're experiencing conflict, you've got to do one of two things to deal with the disappointment that exists in that relationship. You either have to lessen your expectations or you have to increase your skill, ability, communication. But here's the thing. You can only do it on your part. I can't make Deb increase her skill or ability. So all I can do is lower my expectation. I can't change her expectations of me. I can only increase my skill and ability. See where that goes? Um, real, real critical stuff. Um, your disappointment, your disappointment, when it comes to the graph, it, it happens on either side. Your disappointment comes, uh, your disappointment with your spouse, with your friends, with your kids is not about them. It's about you. Hear me in that. Your disappointment that occurs in your closest relationships is not about them. It is about you. You expect they will meet your needs. You expect that they will fulfill your desires. You expect that they will complete you. And only God can do those things. 
Only God can do that on a lasting basis. Only God can meet those needs. Only God can fulfill your deepest desires. So let's, let's just talk through some, some things in, in this context of disappointment, in the context of your marriage, of your family. Don't expect your spouse, don't expect your child, don't expect your friend to do what only God can do. Your spouse cannot make you feel loved perpetually. Only God can do that. Your spouse cannot always protect you or be with you in every dangerous situation, but God can. Your spouse cannot always give great advice, but God can. So many of us trying to find our fulfillment in a relationship through our kids, through our spouse, in a dating relationship with our friends, We try and find our value, our identity, our unique place in the world because of who we surround ourselves with, those people who are closest to us. But at best, it can only work on a short-term basis because those people that are closest to us, they're flawed. They make mistakes. And we're flawed and make mistakes. And they'll see that when they're close to us. Over 300 years ago, Blaise Pascal first talked about the God-shaped hole that exists in everyone's life, in, in our souls. We try and fill that hole with our husband, or our wife, our child, or friend. But only God can fill that hole. It's like taking a square peg and putting it in a round hole. It, you can jam it in there, but it's never gonna fill all the gaps. Don't expect um, your spouse, your child, your friend to do what only God can do. Second thing is this. Don't expect your spouse or your child or your friend to do what they're not equipped to do. Just because your dad could fix anything around the house doesn't mean that your husband can. Can I hear an amen to that? Um, Just because your mom was an incredible cook that found joy in preparing a meal, making it a really special event, doesn't mean that your wife has those same capabilities. Especially when the, before you got married, the only meal she knew how to make was ramen noodles, right? God bless Domino's, Um, you know? Don't expect that just because something has happened in the past that that automatically transfers to the person that, that you love, that, are, that is close to you. Don't expect them to do something that they're not equipped to do. Um, you know, for, for if I, I don't want to make this too personal. For many of us, we were, we were involved in all kinds of activities in high school. I was, um, you know. You played in a band. You, uh, you went to every game. You cheered the team on. You were a class officer. Um, but your child is an introvert. They, they want nothing more than to just play with the animals and do a 4-H project by themselves. You know, if they were in school, they would want, just want to be on the chess team, if there was a chess team, right? Don't expect them to live the way that you lived because God made them differently. Don't expect your wife or your husband to do things the exact same way that you would because if they did, if we were identical, one of us wouldn't be needed, right? Don't 
expect them to do something they're not equipped to do and then live with the disappointment that comes from that. Don't expect your wife, your child, your husband, your spouse, your friend to do what you've never talked about. In that diagram where it said skills and abilities, man, communication is one part of that. Don't expect, don't expect those people who are closest to you to, to do something without ever talking about it. Um, uh, just because your mom or your aunt or your grandma, whoever, um, ironed the shirts of your dad doesn't mean that your wife is automatically going to do that. That may not be on her radar at all. It's something that you have to talk about. Don't expect that because um, one of you had, uh, one of the people in your life had great um, math skills and working on the budget and do all that, that is uh, naturally what's going to happen with your spouse as well. If they're not equipped to do that, you've got to talk about things. Um, my oldest sister and her husband had a foster son that came to live with them when, uh, when he was probably 10 or 11, somewhere in there. He came from a very dysfunctional home, um, uh, alcoholic dad, uh, absent parents. He, he, he just didn't have very many life skills. And he came to live with my, my sister and, and brother-in-law. And I remember when he met my dad for the first time, my, my sister and brother-in-law said, um, say, say hello to grandpa. And, and he didn't know what to do. He had never been taught how to interact with other adults. He was a kid and he just had never done that. And, and, um, and they gave him some grief. And my, my dad said, no, no, no. Um, and began to talk to him. He said, here's what you do. Stand up tall, put your hand out forward with a firm handshake, look the person in the eye and say, it's nice to meet you. And, and so dad and, and my uh, foster nephew did that two or three times. And with each time, he became more confident. Um, that was over 50 years ago. When my dad passed away five years ago, my foster nephew wrote about the impact that that conversation my dad had with him in teaching him something, talking about something that he had never had a conversation about before. Our expectations oftentimes are not met, which causes tremendous disappointment in us about things that we've never had conversations about. We've never talked about what those expectations are. We've never talked about what skills are needed. We've never talked about how important that thing is to us. And we live with disappointment. And it leads to discouragement. And that leads to depression. And it causes this dam and the springs of living water that Jesus wants to run through our souls. Um, what do you do when you're disappointed with your husband or your wife, with your kids or your friends? Let me, let me just give you three things real quick. First is this, lower your expectations. Just lower your expectations. Most of the time, our expectations for our spouse uh, most of the times, our expectations for our, for our spouse are what we think they should act like or what we think that they should do. And when they don't do those things, we get angry or disappointed. We don't typically have those same expectations for people we just have casual relationships with. We have a lot more grace for people who um, are not in that inner circle of our lives. Um, why, why, why is that? Why do we not extend that grace? Grace. 
because expectations and disappointment. Um, I, ha I had a, what do you do when you're facing disappointment? Lower your expectations. I had a conversation with a friend just a, a couple of months ago where they said, that's not right. You should have high expectations for your wife. You should have high expectations for your kids. You should, you should have those expectations so that they can live up to them. And, and I agree with that. Actually, I'm sure that we'll talk, write your questions down. Where I'm sure we'll talk about that in the podcast on Tuesday. Um, we, high expectations, yes, but high, high expectations can't be demands that we make of them particularly if we don't talk about it, if we don't, if we don't have those conversations, if they don't have the skill to do those things. Our expectations should never be demands that we make on our spouse, on our kids, on our friends. Um, Paul writes to the church and says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Jesus died for the church and he has high expectations for the church. But he continues to love us and show us grace and mercy when we fail and fail and fail. When we don't live up to those expectations that he has. There's an event in the Old Testament um, where three Jews, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, um, are told by the government that they have to bow down and worship this idol when, when stuff happens. And they say, no, we can't. We believe in the living God. We're not going to bow to this idol. And as a result, um, they're, they're convicted and they're going to be thrown into this uh, fiery furnace where they're going to burn up. And they say this, and this is in Daniel chapter 3. If we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. And he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he doesn't, we want you to know, your majesty, that we won't serve your gods or worship that image of gold that you've set up. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had high expectations for what God was going to do. They believed, God, this is, this is what we think you're going to do. But even if you don't, it's not going to change our relationship with you. God, even if you don't come through, we're still going to trust you. We're going to die knowing and loving and worshiping you. Have the high expectations, yeah. But, but, but know that they can't be a demand. So... Uh, maybe the best way to say it is to have to say this is to, is to have high expectations, but don't demand them. Don't make the relationship dependent upon those expectations. Second thing is this: be grateful for every good thing about your spouse, or your child, or your friend. Why, why is it that when we first start dating, we we fall in love with this person who has zero flaws, right? We. I, we look past any mistakes that they may have made. But the longer we spend time with them, the, more, uh, the better we get to know them. The more time goes on, those, those things that we looked past early in our relationship just get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. The disappointments that we experience become greater and greater and we lose the ability to be grateful for who they are and all of their strengths. They're the exact same person that, that they were when we met them. But back then we chose to look past those flaws and to look at their good. And I would just encourage you in your relationship, look for the good, mind the good. Uh, think about the good things about your husband or your wife. 
Paul wrote to the church in Thessalonica, be thankful in all circumstances for this is God's will for you who belong to Jesus Christ. Be thankful in all circumstances. In your disappointment, be thankful. In your broken relationship with your husband or your wife, be thankful. In the broken relationship, in the difficult times that come as you're raising your kids, be thankful for who they are and who they're becoming. When your life is full of disappointments, be thankful. That, that, that um, phrase, that writing from Paul, that's a, that's a command. It's an objective truth. God's will is for us to be thankful, for those who are in Christ to be thankful. Third thing is this, transfer your expectations. Transfer your expectations, your fulfillment to Jesus. That's the heart of today's message. You can't find fulfillment. The fulfillment that you're looking for, you cannot find it in your husband or your wife. But somehow, culture, maybe what's inside us, we have this expectation that they should be able to do all I need. They should take, be able to take care of me. And it's just not true. Only God can do that. Your husband or wife cannot fulfill you the way that Jesus can. Your children cannot fulfill you the way that Jesus can. Your friends cannot fulfill you the way that Jesus can. Jesus said to the woman at the well, I have, I have water that you don't know anything about. It's living water. It's water that will give real life that lasts. Jesus said to Nicodemus, you want a life that really matters? You have to be born again. It's got to come from me. Jesus says to each of us, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men to me. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the bread of life. Philippians 4, 6, and 7, I think, captures the heart of this message about, about uh, disappointment that happens in the context of our closest relationships. Paul says to the church in Philippi, don't be anxious, don't be disappointed about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all, transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The prophet Jeremiah said, blessed are those who trust in the Lord and have made the Lord their hope and confidence. Fulfilled hope is a tree of life. They're like trees planted along a riverbank, along a riverbank with roots that reach deep into the water. Such trees are not bothered by the heat or worried by long months of drought. Their leaves stay green. They never stop producing fruit. The psalmist, Psalm 18, the Lord the Lord is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my strong, stronghold. God is the one who will not disappoint us when we see from his perspective. Disappointment is incredibly real. Over the last 40 years, I have been disappointed in people over and over and over again. People who were close friends, people who were church leaders, people who I trusted, 
Over the last 40 years, actually, I think probably my entire life, I know that I have disappointed people I love, people who have invested in me over and over and over again. To be alive and to be in relationship is to be disappointed. As your pastor, I will disappoint you. I know that. Your life group leader will disappoint you. Your spouse, your kids, your friends, they will disappoint you. None of us will ever fully live up to your expectations. But there is one who will never disappoint. That's the God of the universe, the God who made you. He may not always do things the way that you want or the way that you expect, but if you know him, if you fully give your life to him, if you see with his eyes, with his perspective, he will not disappoint. He loves you so much. He loves you so much, and his plan is bigger than your expectations. Let's, let's pray. Father, we thank you for, uh, for the love that you have for us. God, I thank you that, um, that, that you do come through, that you will come through. God, that our disappointment in you, in life, it's with us. It's not with you. Help us to see you. Help us to be drawn to you. Help us to find ourselves in you, Lord. That's our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together. Let's sing. Every creature 
worship you and if it puts me in the fire i'll rejoice cause you're there too i won't be formed by feelings i hold fast to what is true if the cross brings transformation i'll be crucified with you cause death is just a doorway to 